I can hear you loud and clear. Excellent. I can hear you very well as well. Awesome. How are you? Doing all right. I live in easy Colorado. How are you doing? <laughs> well, you know what? Um, it's tragic, the numbers. Um, and when people hear this in the news, but the truth is, I think, um, you know, New Yorkers have done a good job in, in being smart, staying at home, uh, riding it through. I know people are being a little bit impatient with the whole situation and with the good weather coming up, but I have a feeling that we have it un under control and chances are anything that can happen now, it will not be dramatic or, or tragic that much because we know what to do. So to me, that's the most important part right now. There is no fear involved anymore in that aspect. You know, the, the thing that, that uh, I've only been to New York a couple of times, but I just remember like walking on the street and like going, damn, there are just so many damn people here. <laughs> There's really, I, I've, I went to Tokyo many years ago, oh. but even Tokyo where I was at wasn't so congested, so crowded. It's like, wow. Well, they're not here anymore. I mean, uh, Times Square is is dead empty at all yeah. times, and it's very different what what we're used to seeing it. And honestly, I'm actually initially I was upset. I was like, "Oh my God, there is no New York without all this mess of people." Yeah. But now I'm kind of enjoying it because you know you can still go out and be smart, wear a mask, and and stay away from as many people as you can. But uh, it's it's actually fun for now. <laughs> But Fair enough. anyway, so first of all, thank you for joining me. I know you're definitely used to being on the other side of uh, the conversation. It, it's nice to be on the other side for a change. <laughs> At least I think it will be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it should be unless you hijack my, my conversation. Yeah. Remind me if I, if I start to hijack because <laughs> I, it wouldn't surprise me if I uh, forget or something. No, the, I, I won't be offended. Yeah, no, the, the good thing, I have control of the mute button, so I, I, <laughs> I can do that. But anyway, just to quickly let you know what this is all about, I, I explained it to you, but Straight Hamble Talk is a conversation between two people who at times either were teammates, partners, collaborators, or competitors in, uh, uh, in the world of handball in U.S. But ultimately, we are connected forever thanks to the Olympic sport of handball. And to me, that is a priceless reward that I get from putting my energy, my passion to do something that really makes me happy. So I know you uh, remotely for over a decade, uh, like 15 years probably, 13, 15 years. And um, this connection is forever, however you look at it. From, sure. And so I appreciate that. And I, of course, I appreciate everything else that you do. Uh, to be a voice of reason at times, uh, most of the times, and then a voice of con controversy at other times. And it's just necessary to, to have that part. So thank you for, for joining me in this conversation. Sure. Now, people know who you are, but I also want to explain to those who are going to listen to it. You started playing handball at the U.S. Air Force uh, Academy in 1984. Yeah, from 92, 93, you were also a member of the U.S. national team and participated in the world championships in Sweden. Uh, you helped start two clubs, D.C. Diplomats, our rivals here, or they used to be, and Las Vegas uh, Scorpions, uh, which I don't know if they exist anymore, but uh, uh, they're, they're pretty, much, pretty much gone right now. Pretty much but, gone. 
maybe maybe a shell that if somebody's motivated could get it going again mm. but uh not and, much activity yeah it's tough when you have dedicated people to that but on on top of the the things that you've done you also run team handball news site which is an independent news and commentary outlet for the olympic sport of team handball and just recently you became a graduate or of european handball managers course which i think you're the first american to do this uh and it's one of the that was last year during the ehf champions league i believe so when i when i think about all this stuff i'm like damn you made a fortune in the world of handball like it just sounds so much stuff man like it's just amazing you it, it's if you just had to make money with all the things that you did now it, it hasn't been profitable but uh it's certainly been uh rewarding uh and uh i i like doing things about handball that's that's just the way it is <laughs> and that is true and this is why the, this whole conversation and jokes aside Obviously, the passion and what you do for handball, it's, uh, to me, it's extremely valuable. Uh, it's always a, a good uh, um, place to, to think what can we do later on in life. So first of all, tell me, you, how did you get hooked into handball personally? Um, you know, it's been, it's been a slow growth process, if you will. Um, I... Uh, you know, basketball was my first love. I, I played a lot of sports. I played football, basketball, baseball. I was a high jumper. Uh, but basketball was my passion. I really loved basketball. Um, and I tried out for basketball at the uh, Air Force Academy. I just just wasn't good enough. I also, I also don't think I had uh, – I came from a really small school, high school in Iowa. Yeah. And I never really played against uh, too many people that were better than me. So um, – that being said, I was never going to be a Division One basketball player at a high level. Just, just wasn't in the cards. And um, I saw handball being played. I didn't really kind of figure it out until uh, my sophomore year. I started playing the intramurals, and uh, I joined the club team when I was a senior. And I really, really fell in love for love with the game. And uh, um, I got stationed in California. Mm. And uh, I kept playing while I was in California. I used to, believe it or not, I used to drive four hours round trip to practice from, uh, from Edwards Air Force Base to uh, Camarillo, California to play with the Condors. Um, so, so really passionate about the, uh, about the sport and uh, played club handball there. Yeah. And uh, it, it kind of a funny way with me is I, I kind of got drawn out of it. I, I, I got cut from an Olympic festival team mm. in, uh, in uh, 1991. And I pretty much said, wow, you know, I'm not even making, you know, one of the lower regional teams. My career is over. I got reassigned to Colorado Springs, not, not as an intent to go play with the residency program. Yeah. Just that's where they sent me. And I started practicing again with, uh, with the national team because they needed bodies. Yeah. And uh, um, ended up going to the world championships and starting on defense. So, and I tell people, coaches don't know crap, all right? I, I got cut from a regional team. A year and a half later, I am starting at the world championships. <laughs> I'll be on defense, all right? 
you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't all world. Yeah. We weren't a great team. Um, but that was such an eye opening experience for me to, to do that. And that really, you know, kind of upped my excitement level for the game. Anytime you represent your country and you play it on the world stage, that, that was something that, uh, really got me going. Um, and, and it just, I kind of backed away a little bit after that. I, you know, I helped start the team in DC. Um, and then I got assigned to France mm. and, oh my God, that was such an eye opening experience for me too. That was, that was in 2002. And I played one year at a very low level, a club in France, uh, Louvain-Lois. It's a suburb of Paris. Okay. Yeah. And, um, that was so eye opening, you know, it's like all these teams in the Paris Metro area and I'm playing, it's, it's basically the sixth or seventh division in France. They don't even really count down that low. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Oh, wow. These club teams, they're probably better than everybody, but maybe, you know, for, for today's standards, I would say NYC, NIAC and San Francisco, but the team I played on, this is, these are guys just kind of goofing off yeah. better than any of the other clubs. But I think the, the other thing that opened my eyes to me was my first opportunity to see handball a lot on TV. Yeah. And I had no real conception of the clubs, the rivalries, uh, the, the competition. And, you know, that kind of drew me in even more, you know, getting excited about the sport to, yeah. to go, wow, you know, I'm a big handball fan. I didn't even know it. I, I've compared it to like uh, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. You know, you open oh, the yeah. cupboard yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, open, open the closet and you're going like, oh my goodness, <laughs> all these clubs, teams, players. Oh, um, so that kind of gives you a, a sense of how I, 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 little by little, that's why I'm so passionate about it. It didn't, it didn't happen, boom, overnight. It was a couple of things that, that really drew me in. No, of course. I mean, I, all of us have those little triggers that we'll never forget because to me, it's playing a sport that competes with other mainstream sports, which we all grew up playing the other sports. To get into handball has to be some sort of a personal moment connection, whether it's a failure or someone pushed us, excited us, intrigued us to be a part of it. So, I mean, I think all of us who are in handball, I mean, we're just so passionate about this goddamn sport that's not doing anything for us in here, which is kind of go, drives me crazy, just as it drives you crazy in that sense. But you are one of the last few 50 Americans in the last, since 91 and 93 to 2001 from the senior men that played in a world championship in a level that we haven't been there for so long. I mean, I want to know that experience, what you remember, the memories of you playing against a two of the greatest Swedish national players, Bislander and Olsen, which now they are part sort of, I mean, Olsen at least. Uh, how was that experience? That was, that was a, a really great experience because we, we played in the Scandinavium in, uh, in Gothenburg. And I was, you know, blown away by the crowds <laughs> and, and how they were, you know, so into it. The fact they could make all those horn noises and, and whatnot. <laughs> It, it was uh, um, it was really eye opening. Um, I didn't really appreciate fully, I think, 
how good the players I was playing against. It wasn't like, um, you know, nowadays where you can say like, you've seen, you've seen them play on TV all the time. Right. Um, and the, the thing that struck me a little bit is that athletically, even though Sweden was such a, a, a great handball team, those guys, yeah. I did not feel that they were superior to us athletically. And I'm not talking so much me. I'm talking Derek Heath yeah. Yeah. And, and Matt Ryan and, and some of those other guys. But they just knew so much more about the game. We saw passes that we hadn't seen before. Um, it, uh, it was a real eye-opener. But, you know, you, know you, you play these guys and you say, you know what, if we could play these national teams day in, day out, you know, for a couple years, eh, you know, they wouldn't be whipping us by 16, I guarantee you. <laughs> um, would, would we have been as good as them? I, it's hard to say. We've never had that situation where we've had a lot of guys playing um, at a high level for uh, an extended period of time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you having that privilege to me, anyone who plays at that level with those guys, it's uh, it, it's unforgettable, one. And two, to respond to what you said about, oh, European handball players definitely are not more athletic than American athletes. That is, we all know that. I think they know that too. Uh, but uh, handball as a sport is not only about strength and, and being fast and whatnot. It's a completely different culture. And that's one thing that we need to get back into um, making as a culture in, in our country and not just finding athletes that fit that criteria. Now, I just want to get straight into our straight handball talk and, and get into some serious stuff. And that is someone with a resume like yours and a background like yours. Why are you not involved in the official business of USA Team Handball? Well, I... Um... Maybe I'm too controversial. I, I, I don't know 100% for sure. I've asked people, and I have not gotten a straight answer. Mm. Um, uh, I think I, I've always been somebody willing to speak out when I, I see something that, hey, I don't think this is the right thing to do. I think maybe we need to look at some other possibilities. We need to do a full-on comparison of what we're doing. Um, I, I'd like to think that we're a situation where that, that type of feedback and opinion is shared in a, uh, semi-professional, professional setting and different ideas are compared and, and then they, they're selected. And I, I guess that's a little bit, it's always been a little bit frustrating to me. I was in the Air Force, uh, for, uh, for uh, 20 years and the lowest ranking guy, you know, could speak up and, and state his opinion. At the end of the day, the general made the call, yeah. but there was, uh, there was debate, there was discussion and merits were properly considered. And then a decision was made and then we all moved forward. And um, I don't think the process has always been followed real well with USA uh, Team Handball. Um, and I think if you are outspoken, um, that, can be, that can be detrimental to, to, to future activities. <laughs> well, 
and you, yes, you're right. And I personally hate that kind of attitude because uh, like you said, hearing other people's opinions and especially those who uh, were actually putting like you, I mean, I don't want to dwell in details what you've done in with your team handball news side, because anyone wants to know methods, plans, processes, what needs to be done or should be done or should has been done. It's on your team handball news site, which is uh, full of information and details. So, uh, but all those opinions are based on credibility because one, you understand, first of all, the, the competition environment that has been in the United States for decades. You have put effort into it and you bring, I believe, a lot of uh, uh, critical and positive uh, information that I think you're giving a lot of information for free. All they have to do is get on that website and just do some stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, in my opinion, I, I believe a lot your, your approach because um, I, I don't mind being controversial. And if controversial is speaking the truth and being honest, I will always do that. But I also personally, I like to take action on my own and not depend on anyone else, which I've never depended on USA Team Handball. And I've always pushed that. However, on your, in your case, I always question like, why the hell with all this information, you're not there? why at one point you haven't been there and at least give you a chance to whatever you said to actually implement what you said. And then let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, it's frustrating to me. And, and there have been times where I've been kind of brought in a little bit and uh, been able to give my opinion, but it's always been kind of closed off at one point or the other. Uh, I mean, I'll make no secret, you know, I've, I've applied for the CEO job four times in the last 12 years. Um, I only got to the interview stage once. Hmm. Um, that was back in uh, 2012, but I wasn't one of the, the final two candidates. Um, so, you know, I was, I was talking to my little brother. He's like saying, John, I think this organization is telling you that your, your, uh, your services are not desired. <laughs> My brother, he's not a big handball guy. I mean, he knows, knows what it is, but he, he knows who I am. He knows yeah. I'm a guy that, uh, um, you know, is outspoken. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's frustrating because I don't think people have seen me too often in a professional environment, in a professional setting, where you're working in a working group or in a, a committee and you're, and you're trying. That was my job for 26 years. I used to stand up and facilitate meetings uh, with people on both sides. Yeah. And I would have the, the users of the military equipment, you know, mad at me. And I would have the contractors that we were buying the equipment mad at me. Yeah. And um, I would eventually, you know, work to get everybody together on the same page. Mm. And nobody was ever 100% happy. Um, but you, you go through a process and you come out with you come out with a solution that everybody goes, Oh, okay, I, I see why we're doing that. I wish I wish this this piece of equipment we were buying was a little bit more capable, but I also know it's going to cost a lot of money. If we do that, we're not going to get it for another five years. So 
all right, Ryan, you're, you're doing a good job. All right. Um, and I, I like to see the same sort of thing happen with handball. Um, but for whatever reasons, it, it just never has gotten to that stage. Um, yeah, maybe it will. You know, I, 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 I've seen some great things. Uh, I see where um, Barry and his team have been reaching out to some clubs and uh, getting their viewpoints and opinions. I'm, I'm available. <laughs> you got any question on anything, I will give you the pros and cons and, and, and the what for yeah. without even giving you, you know, the answer. I'll, I'll just frame the answer for you if, if yeah. anybody's interested. Yeah, I mean, I think from the consulting perspective, again, consultants are those who build experience, knowledge with time and, and history, I think, because sometimes, and it brings me back to the next question that I want to talk about is about you and I have seen many leadership changes within USA Team Handball. I've been for 13 years and you've seen it even further down. But um, it always comes down to enthusiasm, great innovation ideas of doing something great and we hear them all and we all want them to happen. I want them to happen, whatever great ideas people have. But sometimes these new leaderships come in and they tend to forget the history and they tend to forget those who have been a part of it that no information. All you can do is information will be shared and more importantly, not just share, but you need to reach out and, and work really hard with these people who have been a part of it because only they can do is help you out. So what do you think? I know Barry has done a great deal of things in moving pieces around, but uh, in your opinion, from the practical and tangible aspect of it, what will be considered truly a successful outcome for this new leadership? Because always they come and go and there are no, nothing to show. Well, that's a, you know, that, that's why you have a process. You know, that's a big question. And, and, and one person should not come up with the answer to that. That actually should be, it should be the board, you know, the board of directors that should, uh, you know, identify what the priorities are, what, what our goals and objectives are. And uh, at, at a broad level, you don't want to get too solution specific, yeah. but you want to, you want to give some broad goals and objectives that you can work towards. Um, that being said, I did, I did help a little bit with the drafting of the strategic plan. Um, it's not a perfect document, but I, you know, I'm really glad that we have one now. Yeah. Um, I think that there needs to be a little bit more prioritization as to what we want to get done because we don't have enough resources to do everything. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't select, uh, be very clear in your selection of what's the priority. Um, there's, it's not going to, it, it, you may have resources directed somewhere else rather than to that priority or, or one or two priorities. Mm. Um, and so you, you always have the conflict of what do you want to do with your national teams and what do you want to do with your grass grassroots? And, you know, as long as we are a cash strapped organization, there's always going to be conflict with those two. Yeah. Um, and you can just kind of deviate from there. I mean, you, you could say, do we want to focus on our men's team or our women's team? 
Do we, how soon do we want to be uh, top notch? Yeah. Um, do we want to make a big play on beach handball? You know, you could make a case that yeah. beach handball should be our priority because we're, we could be much competitive. Uh, more competitive, much quicker. Not that, not that I'm saying we should do that, but I, I could make a case for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you have, you have all kinds of, uh, uh, decisions on how you want to spend resources and man hours for grassroots. Um, do you want to focus on youth development? Do you want to focus on collegiate clubs? Do you want to focus on, you know, the at-large clubs like New York City and Chicago Inter? Um, and, and yes, you want to do everything. But unless, you're, unless you have all the resources in the world, you have to prioritize yeah. what you want done or you have to you say, you know, we just, you know, I, I would make a big push for collegiate development. Yeah, uh, just just because I've looked at this a while, a lot. I think it's our our uh, our sweet spot, the biggest bang for the buck, whatever analogy you want to use, in terms of uh, growing the game fairly quickly, and and having a product that I think um, could be commercially viable. That's that's my opinion on 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 that. But yeah. it's these are the sorts of things that have to be. You have to hash it out with a bunch of people, and you have to you have to present the information to the decision makers so that they can they can they can look at all the data and and maybe come to the same conclusion that 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 I have. Yeah. But maybe they bring in something else different that says no 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 we need to we need to really go gung ho for the youth development yeah. because that's where we're going to get the players to go into college. Yeah. Um, it, it's not an, it's not a simple answer. It's not a simple process. No, no, it's not. And, uh, and because we're so big as a country and because we lack cash to do any of these things properly, uh, I think to me, that's the scariest part when we hear, when I actually read just your recent, uh, uh, commentary or story on your website about what was going on with the strategic plan, the, the big ideas about finding 200 American players, shipping them to Europe for a few years and making them better players, and then start a professional league where $3 million, three to $5 million per franchise. I'm looking at it and I'm saying, holy cow. I mean, who is thinking? I mean, it's so good to think that big, right? But at the same time, I'm thinking, so who are these 200 people, right? Um, where are you going to get them? Who's going to pay for their trip over there? I mean, they need to learn a different language. Uh, are they going to play together? Uh, there's so many problems, so much money involved only in that part of it. And then secondly, I think about it, who is going to invest $3 million in new franchises, I'm assuming, because if someone is doing this, I'm going to have control. Uh, but if I had $3 million as a club, I will guarantee you by 2028, I will have probably 20,000 people playing handball in New York City alone from schools, from uh, adults, from whatever. But who's going to give $3 million? So yeah. I'm, I'm, I read it. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> what, it, 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 raises, it raises a lot of questions. And, and just to clarify, that's, that's not the strategic plan. That's a plan that uh, Barry Siff and uh, uh, some other folks ha have cooked up. And um, it can fit into certain aspects of the strategic plan for sure. I mean, if you have a professional league, hey, 
you're gonna have some good players to put on your national team. There's no, there's no denying that. It's, it's more of a, it's more of an action plan. You know, it's, it's a solution towards some goals and objectives that we're looking at. But you're absolutely right. It brings up <laughs> so many questions, and it's going to take a lot of resources. Yes. The, the thing is, you know, the IHF has seen this plan. You know, J- John Brieho with, uh, with uh, formerly of the EHF, now working for the IHF, has yeah. seen this plan. Hans, Hans Vesper, he's a CEO of one of the largest companies in the U.S. These are some smart, smart people. Um, you know, we, you and I can like go, whoa, whoa, there's, there's got to be something missing here. But we also have to think about, you know, like this isn't just two guys in their basement coming up with a plan. Well, or more accurately, some reporter, which we'll see at the 2020 Olympics, who's going to write a story about handball and, and what needs to be done to yeah. – we, we've had one of those stories every year. Since, I've seen them since, uh, since 2000. I'm sure they're – you go back yeah. even further. And it's the same theme every time. You know, we can take our players from other sports and teach them and turn them into, turn them into world champs. Yeah. Well, you know, look, obviously all of us would love to have a pro league – um, in in United States, and I think it's obviously doable in a smaller scale. Like start like a frisbee uh, championship that you know you pay people a little bit. I mean, even we can make a professional league with paying people very little bit of have no expenses, and start from what we have, but build a league with three million dollars franchise, and you have what eight ten clubs. We're talking about thirty million dollars, and I'm sure there are people out there with all that money, but. I'm sure they are very smart where they want to put their money. And if somebody doesn't tell the truth of what the system is, like what has been in many years, and these are the product of handball are the clubs currently in in U.S. And from what, 600 players, 90% are foreigners. Uh, so we have to look at all these little things. Yeah. Hey, if, you, if you look at, I always, I always look at rugby because in, in, investigating other sports it's the closest to handball in terms of being a niche sport uh, brought in mostly by foreigners originally um and it's it's grown it's it's you know it's uh they have 127 times the membership yeah that we have um and they have, you know, they've built it into college clubs. They've got youth programs now. They've got uh, at-large clubs, kind of like uh, NYC. But they, they have started a professional league. And uh, they, they had a full season last year, had an abbreviated season, uh, you know, this year. Um, how are they paying for that? Well, when you have 127 times the membership, yeah. you're going to have – some guys that made it good that love rugby and, and they're going to be willing to like, ah, I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pay for this. And it's just kind of like you and I, we love, we love handball, but we're not multimillionaires that, yeah. that can, that can start a club team. But if there was a hundred times us, yeah. maybe there'd be an, a beanie guy that, that started a, you know, a company, he's got, you know, a hundred people working for him and he's, you know, raking in the dough and he's looking for something to do with that money. We don't have that base yet. That's why, 
that's why I'm kind of like scratching my head a little bit saying, how will this work? Um, And, and I also agree with the idea that here's, here's one thing I do know, and I'm going to be having a, a series on this. I know the closest possibility is indoor soccer. And I don't know if you've ever been to an indoor soccer game. Yeah, futsal. No, 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 not futsal. The uh, uh, we Americans we always have to come up with a better idea. This is the one where it bounces off the wall. I remember this. This was a while ago. Yeah, it still exists. It still exists. Okay. They even have a minor league club in Colorado Springs, and I went to a game Hmm. just to kind of check it out to see how how it could you know because it's a smaller sport. Here's you, a guy that probably knows 10 times more about soccer than I do. Um, wasn't aware that it was a sport here in the U.S., but it's professional. I don't know how fully professional, whether it's semi-pro. They play typically in smaller arenas. But I went to this uh, match, and, uh, you know, I tried to envision, okay, yeah, I could put a sock, I could put a handball court down on this uh, – indoor soccer court. I could put the stands closer in. Um, I had a great time. I, they had like this little brew pub and I was yeah. above it and I had like a big mug of uh, IPA and, and I don't even like soccer, but I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, this is, this would be something I paid, I think $10 for a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and granted, this was minor league soccer. Anyway, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm trying to figure out how this could be done yeah. and whether it could be done. Bottom line, it'll take a lot of cash. Yeah. Look, <laughs> honestly, I personally believe that anything can be done. Now, if you, somebody is, they, if they know someone is putting money into it, sure, it is possible. I mean, heck, U.S. has a, what, a slow pitch adult softball championships on ESPN. I mean, think about that. I think it, it's... Anything is possible with the right financial support. And of course, if you utilize what it's already out there and not completely reinvent the, the, the wheel because yeah. humble is humble. Another, another aspect you'd have to consider is, you know, if it's a pro league, that's not in the purview of USA team handle, that would have to be a separate organization. Now, obviously there, there'd be some level of coordination. You know, they, they talk about these, tryouts and you know finding the 200 players yeah. to go to to Europe which is a whole other you know big thing but that would that would obviously in my mind would involve some type of partnership with the pro league uh USA team handball and maybe the European leagues will be willing to help pay for that too they're already paying for a few players that we have uh, or helping with that anyway but we're still talking a major, major uh, effort. And I guess the concern I'm getting to is even if it's not a USA team handball function, folks working for USA team handball will be working that. They, you know, they will be spending time thinking about that. They will be setting up tryouts. They will be doing all the ancillary things associated with that, that stuff that could be done and something grassroots. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where you, you have that big trade-off I talked about between grassroots and national teams. And then within those two buckets, those two bins, if you will, yeah. you've got to figure out how to spend the money um, 
in those areas. Yeah. Well, look, I am all up for it, whatever goes on. And I think um, it would be exciting. It would be really exciting uh, to do, especially the pro league. However it, it's done, I don't care just to give it a shot. And whoever wants to invest money, it would be phenomenal. And we both know, and you are a big proponent of it, that as much as we can get the sport on TV, uh, the, the faster and the easier is to uh, get people familiar with it, get excited about it, and of course, get the younger generation to want to try it. Because ultimately, we're still trying to make a, a, a national team that's going to be competitive for 2028, which would be perfect. So, but, but again, when it comes to TV, you know, you and me and all the other handball fans still get to watch all the great games that happen in Europe because one ESPN, uh, ESPN, uh, EHFCL.com has the greatest broadcasting, high quality. Sometimes you can watch it live, but if you wait 24 hours later, you will watch all the games. Then you can pay little money to watch the, the German leagues. And of course we have BN for Champions Leagues uh, in in US. Um, so I don't know the numbers, how, how, how many people watch this stuff, but I know there are around, what, 120,000, 120 million households in US that have a TV. And they say that if you have captured 0.5% of that, they will keep the sport on TV. So 0.5% of all that is, uh, I think it comes up to what, 300,000 or 600,000, 300,000 people. Can we have 300,000 people watch our games? So there was a, uh, a website that used to publish the weekly sports uh, watching. And down there at the very, very, very bottom was the BN Sports Champions League matches. I mean, I can't remember. There was something else also very, very small, but I'm telling you right at the very, very bottom. Now there's some reasons for that. BN sports isn't carried in as many households. I don't think they did a, have done a very good job of promoting it even within their small network. But, um, you know, part, part of that is it's not so much just getting on TV. It's getting on the right network. Yeah. And, and, and BN Sports clearly um, has not been the right network for us for the last seven, eight years. Whoever sees this, there's probably have to be, what's BN Sports? <laughs> um, it has been a, it's been a long-standing frustration. I've talked to the BN Sports guys. I've provided their contact information on a silver platter to USA Team Handball a couple of times. And for whatever reason that, that those connections have never been made. I mean, I, I, I've said, you know, why not a banner at national championships, you know, be in sports, watch handball on being sports, you know? Um, and I don't think it would have been, it would have been a mutual beneficial sure. type thing. Um, but for whatever reason that wasn't, that wasn't done. Um, now, now that contract's running up. So we running out yeah. at, this summer. So there's a really good chance that we're going to get on with a better network. And if, if there's one thing I will take some credit for is I have told every European that I, that will listen to me. <laughs> and, and I, I've talked to him. I've talked to the German Bundesliga CEO, the French league CEO, 
the, the EHF folks, even the CIHA League, I've told each and every one of them, they've, they've got to make it a priority to get handball on a better network in the U.S. And I think they are listening to me. Mm. Now, have they been listening to other people? Am I going to pat myself on the back and say, you know, I, I, I made that happen? Yeah. No, I think, I think it's been a, a group effort, but I, I tell you, that's something that I have uh, really emphasized. Oh, I got the, gonna have to shut my window here. Okay. Oh, I'm weak. <laughs> no, the, the trash people are coming. That will be very loud here shortly. Um, so it, it, to me, it's a big, big factor for us to get on the best network possible. Um, and I really, I actually, you know, actually got a pretty high level guy at ESPN to listen to me. That was maybe the, the best thing that's happened to me all year is a high level guy at ESPN. Um, followed me on Twitter mm. and I was able to contact him and um, contact some people in Europe so that there's ESPN will be a part of the discussion for the new EHF contract, uh, yeah. which is a 10 year contract groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, and with, with parts of it that emphasize growing the market in the U S sure. so um, it, this is something that definitely could happen. And I, and to me, even if it's on the OTT, you know, the ESPN yeah. plus, do, do you have ESPN plus? I do. I do. All right. Doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see a little handball ball icon to click on that and to say, Oh, and then, and then click on that. And you got EHF, HBL, LNH. And you know, the thing I've told them, you don't have to put every game on with, don't get me wrong. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. But maybe one game a week, Yeah. you know, if Keel and Flensburg play in the HBL, let's see that match. Yeah. If Montpellier and, and, Paris Saint-Germain are playing, put that match on TV. Yeah. So. Well, it, I guess you know more about this stuff, but, uh, and I'm very curious to know, what are the financial agreements in these deals? Like how, how big are we talking about? Well, so, the, so that was, that was the problem historically is a lot of the Europeans, they would look at the U S market and they would say like, you know, the U S market, Whoa, we're going to get a big, big fat paycheck for this. When the reality is um, probably next to nothing, maybe even nothing. I mean, if you, and if you really want to push it, maybe you should even pay to, to get the champions league on a major network. And that, that was such, that just was such craziness in the European mindset um, that they would, discussions never even took place because they wanted to get paid for their product. And I, and, and you and I understand this is great stuff. You should be getting paid for it. But in order to, in order to build your market up, um, you're probably going to have to give it away for a few years. But, but the key is if you look at the, uh, at the English premier league and how their contract is, has grown in the last 10 years from next to nothing. Um, you can you can paint a good picture of um, sacrificing current revenue for future profit. Yeah, well, I I think that's what B BN did 
but I don't think they did any research behind it. I mean, they just bought anything that felt well, it was Well, well this is what happened with BN Sports. This is what happened with BN Sports, my understanding, and I, I can't confirm this. So BN Sports has, it, they're big in France. Yeah. And they're big in the Middle, middle East and North Africa. Yeah. And so when they bought the Champions League for the Middle East and North Africa and France, it was probably a, a 10 second commercial where they said, um, or a 10 second comment says, Oh, we'll throw in us. Yeah. We'll one too. I, 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 that's what I've been told secondhand is what happened. But because the other problem that happens is it takes work to talk to ESPN, to talk to Fox sports, to oh, yeah. talk to NBC Olympic channel, to talk to these people and they're going to get nothing for it. Yeah. And when they, when they sold the rights to third parties, they, the third party didn't sign up to like, I'm going to spend a lot of time and energy getting handball on TV in the United States and we're not going to get paid for it. Yeah. No, they, they spend all their time and energy selling the rights in Germany, France, and the Scandinavia yeah. because that's where the money is for them. Yeah. I, I think what we should be doing is obviously first create a product that fits the ESPN, which is like a dark championship where they have 2 million uh, people watching it. <laughs> And we should do handball that uh, in combination with Nathan's eating hot dog contest, every time a seven meter guy misses a penalty, his team has to eat two <laughs> hot dogs <laughs> or the other way around if, if he scores. So I think, unfortunately, uh, our game of handball, as pure as it is, uh, as great as it is to watch, needs something, I believe. Uh, even though I don't agree with it, but I believe to to enter an ESPN uh, uh, moment where it becomes a little bit more Americanized. I mean, I don't know, to uh, make four quarters every 15 minutes, uh, a quarter or something. I don't know. Something needs to change. Yeah, I think I think that they would need to strongly consider uh, either three periods yeah. or four quarters. More, maybe more timeouts yeah. if it was to go on one of our main channels. But I, I think one of the, uh, the great things with streaming on OTT over the top yeah. networks like ESPN Plus is I think you can show it in its you know, normal form and, and people will adapt to that. Yeah. You know, rugby is on there. They didn't modify rugby dramatically for TV. They didn't do that for um lacrosse they haven't done that for other sports it, it but if you're going to get I, I think what you're missing a little bit is if you look at the sports like um cornhole yeah and darts and uh you know dodgeball it, those are a little bit easier to produce and put on tv particularly yeah. cornhole yeah <laughs> um and, and granted i would never watch that but it costs next to nothing to put on yeah to put on TV. Um, Much and, harder and with In us. some respects, those companies have paid to be on TV. There's, yeah. uh, there's uh, ways that they pay the networks and then they have to sell the advertisement. They go out on a limb to sell the advertisement vice ESPN selling the advertisement. Yeah. So that's another way. And then, and then uh, that spike ball. Have you seen oh, yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Spike ball is the same way. The, the people behind that 
use it as an opportunity to spell, to sell all their equipment. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot more that goes into those deals than you might think. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why you're shaking your head and going, why is this on TV and handball isn't? You know what? Maybe I should start shaking my head too and start looking exactly what they're doing and being successful because I am a more of a Puritan handball uh, believer. I like the sport the way it is. Uh, I enjoy the way it is, but I also am very uh, honest with myself that something needs to be done because when I see the other things being successful, I'm like, oh, it can't be. Something needs to be tweaked or we're not presenting it the right way. So it's strange. Well, hey, the, the thing is, and this is something I've been thinking about for, for 20 plus years. The thing is, the the streaming capability, and I know, well, yeah, I'd rather have it on ESPN and ES, or ESPN2 rather than ESPN+, Plus. but because you don't have, you don't have to battle other sports to get on there, yeah. it's, it's becoming feasible to do it. The other thing is the Europeans are starting to figure it out. Yeah. You know, they're going to put some effort. Um, you and I don't even have to do much to get it on TV. Barry Sif doesn't have to do much. It's yeah. going to happen. I, I, I know I've been saying this for a long time, but you and I have this conversation, you know, a year from now. God, I sure hope. God, I sure hope it's on a better channel now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really think either ESPN Plus or NBC. Um, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to happen now. Well, I, I hope so too, in a better channel, uh, more available. But uh, I'm going to go back to one thing. I believe you were one of the first ones to mention a reality handball show a while ago. You wrote about this, I believe. And you still up for it? Do you think that could be something that could generate some excitement? Oh, oh sure. And I won't take the credit for this. Do you know when I first saw somebody mention it hmm. was when Survivor was first on TV way back in the early 2000s? Somebody on a chat forum or something said it. And then they had the, uh, what was it, the Ultimate Fighter? Yeah. That the UFC has a show. And oh yeah, that's the, somebody. Somebody said, "Hey, you know, we could do this for handball." Then you had the hard knocks. So the, the idea was being bandied around, and then some some folks with know how yeah. got behind it. And I think he hasn't fully elaborated on it, but I think Barry Siff was involved with that group back in 2016. Yeah. And they actually pitched it to NBC. Uh -huh. And they paid the IHF paid for an NBC guy to go to the uh, World Championships mm -hmm. um, in in uh, I think it was in Paris, and you know they they showed him uh, you know handball up front. It didn't it didn't materialize, even though I think the concept that they had bringing in some aging football players and, and basketball players. I don't think that would go anywhere. I think it would be wonderful television. Yeah. Um, and I think it would, I think, I think Europeans would love it. I think it would get, I think it would get subtitled and, and shown in, in other countries too. It would be, it would be a spectacle to watch. I don't think it's this, it's the solution to our national team, yeah. but wow, that would be fun to watch. Yeah. I guess that's what 
we're looking to do, like they're looking to do is, you know, spark that interest. And I mean, I know sometimes when I read comments of some of the videos posted about our games, and one of them was the Super Globe competition we went to. <laughs> and, and, but that's, that's still a good version of us. But the other ones, when we play national, uh, U.S. nationals, people, Europeans that are playing probably third league, fourth league, their comments are, you guys are funny. This is not handball. Why are you guys so slow? So I think about it. I'm like, oh, my God, imagine a reality show like this. It will be funny and it will be exciting. But I think if we get TV time, it will be fun. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the promotion value would just be phenomenal. I mean, in theory, as, as expensive as those shows are, they could like fund it, you know, entirely. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe you get some celebrities to play, but, you know, get some actual guys with some potential. It could be, it could be interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I would love to watch whoever does it. So if, <laughs> if you had $10 million to invest in handball, how and where would you invest it first? Am I interested in making a profit? Or am I being egalitarian just to help the sport in this country? Well, it's your decision. It's your money. Okay. I don't think I can make money with it. <laughs> Do I have to spend on handball? You know, I, <laughs> it's I, only, I can spend on only, other things. Only in handball. That's it. You cannot okay. spend a dime anywhere else. I would, I would be laser focused on developing our college game. Um, I would pick, uh, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love our national teams. I want them to be competitive. Um, I think 2024 is a bridge too far. I, I, I just don't think we're, I think I could spend a lot of money making us marginally better mm. in time for 2024. I don't think I can make us good enough to beat our men's team to beat Argentina or Brazil or our women's team to beat Brazil. Yeah. I don't think even with $10 million, I could do that. So I would, I would probably focus the majority of it on the college game. And uh, we would definitely have a, a final four production for TV. I'd yeah. produce it with that money and, and, and seek to get it on TV. And at the same time, um, you know, I would, I would look at New York City. And I would say, what college team? I'm going to hire Benny. I got $10 million. I'm going to hire you. And, and I'm going to make it your mission to make St. John's a, a team handball power. Yeah. I'm going to give you the resources to do it. You're going to have a quality gym. You're going to, have, you're going to, you're going to be able to, to set up practices. You may even be able to recruit some players. Yeah. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the resources to make that happen. I'm going to have a league with, with good officiating. Yeah. Um, so going to have to pay for that officiating, going to have some specialized clinics for the best players yeah. in, in the college game so that they would probably be probably meeting up at least once a month for, for a three day training camp with, with a really good coach. Uh, you know, I'd probably find a really good coach to, doesn't have to be the super best coach, yeah. just somebody that can take them from the, from a low level to a higher level. So I would it'd be twofold. I would work on improving the game. So I would get as few comments from those third and fourth division people in Europe 
So it looked, it would look more like handball. Yeah. And at the same time, I would really work on the marketing and production of that. And then if I had some extra money left over from all that, I would, I would focus on some youth programs that have shown promise, like what Martin Bellello is doing in, in uh, San Francisco. I'd probably at the same time, I'd say, Martin, you know, hey, no more, no more 10 hours a, a month or whatever the part-time job is. You're yeah. full-time. Yeah. And you have to pick one college in the, you know, two colleges, how many colleges in the Bay Area, and you need to turn these into real handball programs. Yeah. And you're going to have, you can, you can also spend some of that money on your youth program because we need to start building that, uh, that the youth level up so that they can feed the colleges. Now, why that area? I just think it's the best bang for our buck. Yeah. And I don't want to split the money all over the place. I, you know, at the, uh, at the 2012 strategic planning session, Rick Adams from the USOC was there. Yeah. He's like a high level guy up and like the number two or number three guy. And he left that meeting. He told us one thing. He said, guys, you don't have the resources. Pick one thing, pick one thing and do that one thing really well. And then we can talk about, you know, expanding and doing other things. And I, and I think that's a, that's a good strategy um, at this point. Now, um, I, I know if I was on the national team and I heard this, I'd be like, going, screw you, Ryan. I'm working my ass off and, and you're not going to give us any money. Yeah. You know, so you, you always have that thing tearing at you because – I don't like to see our national team have to pay to go on trips. Yeah, yeah. So immediately I'd have to say, well, no, I got to set aside X number of dollars so that these people don't have to pay to go on a trip. So that, you know, and you start having that $10 million that I was going to focus on start hemorrhaging, you know, to other things because they're the right thing to do. You've got to do it. Yeah. But I, I agree with Rick Adams, right? Um, you really, if you don't have resources or you have limited resources, you certainly have to stick to one thing, be the best you can be in that part, let the others follow and then get to the next step. Because ultimately it's the only way to success when you, when you really have limited resources. Yeah. I mean, we've done that yeah. with our New York city Ambo club. So. Yeah. You know, and ideally we would take advantage of, of clubs like yours to focus on an effort like that. Yeah. Um, but also I think some resources have to come with that, with that ask. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. So um, I know we're getting close to one, one hour and don't want to take too much of your time. I know we can speak for, for days. Hey, I love handball. Yeah. We, <laughs> all day long. Go get some lunch, dinner, and we'll, <laughs> uh, we can continue. Yeah, we can do this all night long. Uh, <laughs> so who's your all time favorite U.S. club? Oh, it's got to be the Ventura, Ventura County Condors. Oh, yeah. Before your time. Yeah. You know, hey, I drove four hours round trip to go practice with those guys. <laughs> it was a great team. You know, friends are still with those guys today. Um, you know, the, uh, the thing I, I liked about that team, and, and don't get me wrong, Benny, I like New York City. You guys are great. But oh, no we, had some, we had some uh, 
international guys on our team, but um, there wasn't enough of them that they took over the uh, the born and raised American nature of the club. Yeah. They had to they had to to kind of adopt to the type of guys that we were, and, and in some respects, a little bit like Nyack. It'd be like Nyack yes. with with uh, three or four you know foreigners playing a role on the team. Um, and it was just a really good group of guys. We had some younger guys that, that uh, came up through the system. Uh, you know, Denny Furco became an Olympian. Yeah. And uh, a couple other guys that, uh, that matured to the national team. Yeah. Um, you know, really, there, there's, there's no club like that right now in the U.S. Yeah. You know, well, and... I, I think, obviously, because such a, a foreign not a foreign sport, but so many foreigners that live here that are becoming citizens or, or whatnot, they are the majority for sure. And I've never had a chance to play con uh, Condors, but uh, I know Nyack has that mentality, always has, and I always appreciate it. And, you know, you got to have that, that ability to play against a true American mentality when they're good and they're tough. And we loved it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think we when we came in when was it 2007 and they were still sort of dominating um they were called garden city and our battles were brutal bloody at all times and it didn't matter because they thought like okay we're gonna we're gonna show them how tough we are but they forgot that they're dealing with a different kind of european crowd because we are tough too and we started getting serious battles and of course respect developed because of that and our games became always exciting to watch and and now Nyack is in the process of rebuilding with all the the guys who right. played in the national team and but they're mostly American born and bred which is good and I like that that's what I like about the club system because you build an identity whatever the hell that is you gotta have it and to me that's important definitely and for sure we had an identity. <laughs> no, of course. I, I love the name Condors. I mean, why doesn't someone? Oh, it, it's the best. It's the best uh, uh, mascot, yeah. you know, on the front of the. Every time I wore my Condors T-shirt, somebody would try and buy it from me. No, well, it, like, it had like a friendly, friendly little bird, yeah. you know, with his little beak, you know. <laughs> Not very friendly in real life. <laughs> yeah. And so, so who's Who's your all-time favorite U.S.-born player? Wow. <sighs> you know, that's, that's, that's kind of an awkward question, you know, because I played with some of these people, you know. So I don't really – I'll have to think about that. <laughs> you know, I mean uh, – you know, there, there's a lot of guys I respected, you know, and, and, and I thought that they were really, really intense players. But I'm trying to, you know, I'll, I'll go on, a, I'll go out on a limb and I can't think of his name. Oh, he was my teammate. I'm, this is bad. Brian Jacobs, I think. He was the deaf guy that played for us huh. in uh, 93. And I, 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 it's, Drive me up the wall. I can't think of his exact name, but he was a deaf guy, so other folks will know him. He is the most intense guy I have ever played with in any sport. 
And what position? You know, he played he played wing and circle, and uh, wasn't a very big guy. But I don't care what drill we played, and or what drill we were doing in practice, and what time of the practice was. I have never seen someone go a hundred percent full out. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it would, we all like to think that we give a hundred percent all the time, but we don't. <laughs> and it, you know, sometimes it would like piss you off as like going, dude, you know, relax. <laughs> and instead, you know, you'd have to think, you know, like, well, why am I saying that? Yeah. <laughs> I should be doing what he's doing. Yeah. Wasn't a very big guy, God, but he uh, he was the most intense guy I ever played with. Mm. Well, I, I love those kind of guys. I, I personally, I mean, I don't go 100%, but if I'm any sort of situation, practice or whatnot, I enjoy really playing. I mean, I just, no yeah. way of, what, what am I there for otherwise? Yeah. And then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give another guy, you know, guy I played with, just for his spectacular jumping ability. I don't know if you saw Derek Heath play before he had his yeah. car accident. I, I joke about it, but that game we played in Sweden against Sweden, he, we, every time we got a nine meter, we set him up for a shot. And I, I swear to God, I heard a collective gasp <laughs> in the crowd because it was such a, you know, he would just jump so high and shoot over everybody. Yeah, no, um, I, I never had the opportunity to actually see him at that level. I played with him the, the last time he played. Actually, Nayak took him in Chicago, and they had Gary, and they had uh, Jordy, and they had Tom, and they had all the guys. And that was the last time I saw him. But he was, first of all, at an old age, and secondly, Re, uh, recovering after his uh, uh, accident, and and then I, I have not seen him in his prime. So yeah. I, I I just heard the stories from Richie saying like this guy, he can jump, touch the basketball rim with his foot. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what Richie would tell us. Yes, and you know he he never got to the to the skill level that you'd like to see. You know, left and right passing and yeah. one on one, he was pretty good. But by God, best jump shot. Nine meter jump shot, best in the world. Yeah, my opinion. And what about the the your favorite or all time favorite non U.S. player that played on the U.S. national team, not not born U.S. player. Non U.S. player. Well, a U.S. citizen, but naturalized, not born American. Ah, oh, wow. Jeez. Oh, it's got to be you, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> At my age 40. You know, I played let, my first time. Let's, let's give it to Richard Clues. Richard Clues. I know on your team. Yes. I remember playing him back in 19. Uh, it's got to be either 87 or 88. And that guy is the strongest arms in the world. I remember playing circle and him clamping down on me. And I'm like going, I have no chance of spinning this guy. I am going nowhere. <laughs> it didn't look like much of a player, but damn, he was, 
just brutally strong there on the on the uh, on the six. I mean, even yeah. up to this day, his arm is like, like it's unreal. We look at it, it's like, oh my God, Richie, how the hell do you have those arms? I mean, he was just still very very strong up to this day. I, I, I challenge you know even our young circles today. If if you don't if you let him get a hold of you, you're going no, nowhere. You're done. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm giving I'm giving you some old school NYC credit here. Uh, good, good. I'll let him know. He will be very happy. Uh, he he never forgets any game. I'm sure he remembers it. Like it's like he remembers every detail from 20, 30 years ago. So I'm sure. Oh, it, it, it wouldn't have been just one game. It was like any time I played with him, I would like go to the other side <laughs> of the six meter line to get away from him. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously we're all. Uh, locked in in a way and um, this would have been the week where we usually go to nationals um, regularly uh, so this year we have no idea what's going to happen but in your opinion what do you think should USA team handball uh, host the nationals even with limited clubs or not um I would say if the clubs are willing to travel you know even if it's limited clubs let's just say it was like NYC, San Francisco, Nyack, and Chicago. Yeah. And you guys were willing to travel somewhere? I'd say, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, maybe even, uh, you know, try and do a, a streaming of it. You know, if you guys are willing to do that, hey, I'll watch it. Yeah. I um, but I, I totally understand why folks might not want to travel. And um, even, you know, if it's limited clubs, maybe it, it's, kind of a damper because you know that's one of the things people like is seeing all their old friends and stuff and so you wouldn't have that aspect of it yeah um, yeah i look i'm i was discussing this with a few of uh, the teammates and i said where would you guys hold it if we did it actually and uh, vlado our pivot vlado he said like oh why don't we do it in myrtle beach and immediately in my head i was like why didn't I think about that? Because I, I sort of erased it after being there for three years in a row. And I thought, okay, we're done with that place. But then you think about it. It's South Carolina. It's open already. Uh, the facility is probably empty. And it's going to be either cheap or free to get. It's not that hard to get for most part of the people. And it's cheap. Um, and I'm like, that actually could be a good option. I mean, I haven't brought this up yet to to Barry and the USA Team Handball, and I'm sure they're thinking all the options. But I mean, what do you think? Would you go to Myrtle Beach? I, I probably wouldn't, hmm. not at this juncture. Um, you know, just I just I think it's going to take a while before I'm going to be like in the traveling mode. Yeah. You know, around the country, um, and, and like I said, it'd be it'd be fewer fewer people there. So I, I'd, I'd be less, I'd be less, I wouldn't say for sure I wouldn't, but I'd, I'd certainly be less inclined to. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't stand in the way of it happening. Yeah. Shoot, why not? Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I'm dying to play handball, actually. It's been two and a half months of not doing anything. It just doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. Well, you know, and that's, that's a whole thing. It, it'd take you guys a while to get back into, back into playing shape. Yeah, well, we never were in good playing shape, but <laughs> now, yeah, now now it's gonna be literally the way we are. It just potentially more injury. Um, so okay, just one more, few more trivial questions. Like, 
who do you think is the best player in the world for you currently currently yeah. you know offensively it, it's mikhail hansen i i it, it, that's that's clear but you know as a former defensive specialist i'm like you know there's more to the game than just offense yeah. <laughs> but um you know clearly he's the best he's the best player offensively and then uh you know if you're looking all around uh i would say he might be sagason because he plays he's not as good as offensively as uh, hansen but he also plays decent defense yeah. uh you know dugnak's pretty good still too i uh, getting a little older um I can't so, believe you you didn't mention Nikola Karabatic. I I think he's I think he's the greatest of all time, <laughs> but he's he's certainly he certainly has slipped the last couple of years. Now that injury kind of I mean yeah, that that injury and then you, you get to that point when you you start to get to your mid 30s is it is it the injury or is it because you're starting to get a little old? And so it'll be interesting if he can totally shake off that injury uh, i mean you know, it was going to be interesting to see the you know olympics this summer so maybe he's looking looking for the olympics next year and have one last uh, swan song but uh, oh, that's true if you're looking if you're looking full career he's 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 a goat in my opinion yeah no absolutely and um what do you think if we change well first of all if, if you were to change one rule in handball what would it be Um I would look at some sort of shot clock. Well, that's and I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly how I would implement it. You're going you'd have to do some some experiments. But yeah, I I would want some sort of shot clock in the game. Um and probably we could do a whole hour on on how that would be implemented and some of the the problems that would ensue but Um, I, you know, I grew up with a shot clock in basketball and I, I think sometimes handball gets a little bit, uh, uh, they get a little chip on their shoulders and say, we're not doing anything that basketball's doing. Yeah. Damn it. We're <laughs> our own sport. Yeah. We're not doing, we're not copying basketball. And I'm like going, eh. I, 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 I think it works it works for basketball but you, you're gonna have to have all uh, and it would work for handball but you're gonna have to have all kinds of it, it opens a pandora's box of little rules in terms of how you how you time it how long would it be would you restart it would you stop it uh yeah. it uh it's complicated but i, I really think that there should be some more experimentation and in, in, in adopting of it well i remember that uh when we were in saudi arabia Uh, IHF did the, not the shot clock, but they they showed basically the the clock and they would show us that we have five passes left before the pass to play ended. So we were aware of it. We didn't have to look at the ref and it was just, it was great. So I thought that was a, a great addition and not at some point you start counting like, okay, one, two, three, or ask a ref, how many do I have? Like this way, just look at the clock, say, okay, I have three more passes. I know what to do. Everyone knows what's going on. So that's one step. But the shot clock is a, it would be interesting, actually. It would add a very different uh, sense of urgency for everyone. Can, can, can you imagine 
the NBA, if instead of a shot clock, they would have a ref raise his, you know, it's, it's nearing the end of the game. The ref <laughs> raises his hand, you know, you know, passive play call. Yeah. And then what, what would they do? Like five passes. I, <laughs> it, if you look at it from that perspective, it just seems they've got, they've got good refs. They seem to do a smart job on it for the most part. Um, you know, in, ter- in terms of when they start to call it, not always. And that can be really uh, frustrating. Yeah. You know, when you can see how the offense and the defense are trying to manipulate the officials. Yeah. If it's a clock, there's no manipulation. Yeah. It's everybody knows that you just deal with it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in my head, I'm, that's also a question for you. Uh, this is what I want to do, but what, what do you think? 13 meter goal sh- uh, goals to count for two points. Yes or no? It would be interesting from the standpoint because where you would see it, I think if you adopted that, is you would see it on fast breaks. And that's where it could be a little interesting because I don't think you would see it much no. in, in an actual game. But um, I, I could see a fast break you know, contemplating uh, whether, do I go for two, go for one? Um, But I think, I don't think it would change the nature of the regular game. I don't know if it'd be good. It'd be another interesting thing to try, whether you would see just like in basketball, how it, well, at first it just opened up the floor. Yeah. You know, so you could do more things inside, but then it turned into like, that's all we're shooting now. <laughs> I don't think you would ever see that in handball because it just oh. would not be, it would not be effective. So the question is, would it be something that would um, open up, open up uh, play? But really, I don't see that as a, as a big problem right now. I don't see handball becoming too physical and brutal down low. I think there's a good mix of, uh, play out top play. I, I don't think we need a new rule to kind of open things up yet. Yeah. No, I mean, I, to me, obviously it's not a significant change of the game, but I always love the idea of that excitement where let's say you're down by one goal and all of a sudden you get a steal and you're going that half the fast break and you take the risk. I mean, still shooting from 13 meters, even if you're alone, it's not that easy. So Go for it. And 30 seconds left, you might go up by one goal and just changes the, the mentality of it. Becomes more Oh, it, it would be it would be an exciting play. Yeah. You know, and the goalie would be like going, is he gonna try is he gonna try uh, <laughs> you know to, to shoot from 13? Um boy, that would be from that context, that would be really interesting. I, I think I'm gonna do that one day, like if if, if I'm gonna organize some sort of a, a event here. I'm going to make that rule. That's going to be, okay, we're doing this. You score from 13 meters, you, there's going to be a line there, and you, it counts for two. I just want to see what happens during the game, how many people will try or how effective would it be. It would be fun. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, obviously we have many, many things to talk about. I also have to go feed my, uh, my son <laughs> soon. Um, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? Any, anything you want to share? No, I, I think it, I think it was a, a great discussion, and like liked how you mixed up the uh, 
controversial topics with some free flowing topics. So <laughs> not that I think they should be controversial, They're not. but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll return the favor and have you on, uh, my podcast in the not too distant future. Maybe we'll be talking about the, uh, quarantine Island U S national championships. Hey, I am, I'm ready. And I appreciate you finding the time speaking to me. I know you are always doing these interviews and I love them. I, I, as much time I have, I listen to them and uh, I'm glad you joined in again, this whole thing. I, it's not going to continue for too long for me. It's because I have time and I just wanted to have conversations with people that care about handball that I know, and we can share, share certain topics that maybe a lot of people don't know. Uh, and in this time, I believe that, uh, uh, you are one of the people that could share many stories and, uh, um, I'd like to share our side of the story because we're connected to handball forever because of this. Absolutely. Always love talking handball anytime, anytime, Benny. Thank you, John. Have a good one. We'll be in touch. All right. See ya. Bye-bye.